Hi, I'm Elizabeth Ficken, and I invite you to study the Bible with me. My ladies' Bible study class at my church is studying 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, and we're using the workbook that I wrote entitled Letters to the Thessalonians, Encouragement for Living in the End Times. It's available on Amazon. Join us as we read someone else's mail. I'm sure you'll find a few things that you think were written just to you. We're going to continue getting to know the Thessalonians. And first I want to tell you a little bit about Thessalonica. Of course, you're going to hear someone else in a video today call it Thessalonica. And I told you last week I met someone from Thessaloniki. She, that's how that's called today. So, you know, you could probably say it however you want to. Normally when you're talking about the books of the Bible, we're talking about the letters to the Thessalonians. So, Thessalonica... You know, I'm probably going to say it in many different ways. It can be called Saloniki. That's one more word. And it was it, back uh, a long time ago, a large and flourishing city. It was situated at the northeastern corner of the Thermaic Gulf, which I don't really know, but you'll, you can see that map. And, well, that doesn't have Thessalonica on it. It just shows where Paul was before he went to Thessalonica. He was in Philippi, and then he went through those two places, Amphipolis and Apollonia. And he went to Thessalonica, which also used to be called Therm, which is probably because it was on the Thermaic Gulf. It was on the line of the Great Ignatian Road, which formed the main connection by land between Italy and the east. So that's the main thing I wanted you to hear. It's on an important route between Italy and the east. It was an important commercial center, and it had a mixed population of Greeks, Romans, and Jews. So this was an important city. Pick your favorite big city, important city in the world today. It is of that caliber back then. It also had so many Jews that they had um, enough to have a synagogue of their own. And there, there have to be a particular amount of Jews to have a synagogue. There were plenty. I'm looking at something that says, at the present day amount to 20,000. And I don't know if that meant at the time this article was written or back in Paul's day that there were 20,000 Jews. Another thing that is interesting from this note from the Expositor's Bible, that's where I'm getting these details. It says that the dispersion of the Lord when the Jews were spread throughout the world because of persecution of the Jews and the captivity of the Jews back before the time of Christ. This set the stage for Jews to be spread out. And then Paul went to these different cities where the Jews were. So their statement was, the dispersion was preparing the way of the Lord. So Paul went to this place where he knew there were Jews. And he knew there was a synagogue. And he was there long enough for the Philippians, the people he had come from, he was there long enough for them to hear about his needs and to send him help. That's not on your handout, but Philippians 4:16, Paul says, even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Remember, they didn't have cars and trains and fast travel. There was a distance. The Philippians heard that Paul was in Thessalonica. They heard that he needed help. They sent money and supplies and whatever it was that he needed. 
So he was there probably longer than three weeks, which you did see in your homework. He was at the synagogue teaching for three weeks. But this note to the Philippians indicates to us that he was probably there for, I mean, it sounds like a couple of months at least. This past Sunday and all of this week, Shepherd's Church and Shepherd's Seminary is hosting Joel Kramer, who is an archeologist, uh, the dig digging into archaeology. I heard him a couple of years ago and saw his passion and excitement and how he is digging based on the Bible and he's looking at the Bible and then what comes out of the ground and he's putting all the pieces together and that's what's exciting. So I did go and attend his talk this past Sunday night and I loved what he said that this archaeology shows us that these were real places and the Bible is about real places and there were real people there. The Bible is about real people. I just loved that. And he also continued with a, a fantastic talk about the house of David and how you know that the promise that God made to David was fulfilled. And he pointed out archeological evidences that show that David continued to have sons who were kings in there known. Um, I want to just launch off from that a little bit and say the same thing you've just seen. Thessaloniki is a real place. You saw some of the archeological ruins and the Thessalonians were real people. Who were some of these real people? They are not mentioned in the letters to the Thessalonians that we're studying, but they are mentioned in other places in scripture. So that these are, um, you have a handout with verses on them and I'm going to draw your attention to some different people. First of all, Jason, you already have heard his name from Acts and we're going to learn a little bit more about him. The International Standard Bible Encyclopedia says that Jason is a Greek name assumed by Jews who bore the Hebrew name Joshua. Wow, I didn't know that. Joshua means God saves. I mean, Jesus' name is a version of Joshua. So Jason, what a cool name. If anybody's got, you know, a son Jason or you're married to Jason, that's a great name. So Greek name. And his name is mentioned twice in the New Testament. One of those times is in Acts and the other time is there in Romans 16, 21. That's at the top of your handout. Um, we learned from Acts that Jason is most likely the host of Paul because that's where the city officials went to to look for Paul. They went to Jason's house. Um, when the mob failed to find Paul and Silas, they dragged Jason and certain brethren, other believers, before the Politarchs. There's that word again. And they accused Jason of treason and that he had received into his house those who said there's another king. Jason is one of the companions of Paul and he sends greetings to the Roman Christians. So that is what I've got quoted, Romans 16, 21. Paul says, Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. And that gives us another clue about Jason. Looks like, sounds like he was related to Paul. That means he was a Jew. And then that makes sense that Jason is the Greek name of a Jewish name, Joshua. Jason living in Thessalonica may have called himself Jason. Like Paul is no longer called 
Saul because his name was changed, but he also introduced himself as Paul. That was the um, better for the Greeks to hear. So that is pretty neat to see Jason, a relative of Paul who was in Thessalonica, and we understand what he went through, what he endured. He hosted Paul, and then he was brought before the officials and dragged and endured persecution because of his association with Paul and with Jesus. There are others who are mentioned by name who are dear to Paul, and they traveled with him on his missionary journeys. One of them is Aristarchus of Macedonia, and he was with Paul in Ephesus. So that's the next passage on your handout, Acts 19, 26 through 31. So uh, recognize that Paul is in Ephesus. And he says, moreover, you see and hear that not only at Ephesus, but throughout almost all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people, saying that they are not gods which are made with hands. This is an Ephesian speaking about trouble that he sees Paul stirring up uh, this this um, silversmith says, so not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificent destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worship. Now when they heard this, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, great is Diana of the Ephesians. So now all of Ephesus is upset because the silversmith has stirred them up. The whole city was filled with confusion and rushed into the theater with one accord, having seized Gaius and Aristarchus. Macedonians, Paul's travel companions. Gaius may have also been from Thessalonica, but Macedonia is a larger place, so I don't know exactly where he's from. Um, when Paul wanted to go into the people at the theater, the amphitheater, the disciples would not allow him. Then some of the officials of Asia who were his friends sent to him pleading that he would not venture into the theater. Don't come, Paul. It's too dangerous here. We want you to be safe. The believers in Ephesus were protecting Paul like we saw the believers in Thessalonica protecting Paul, sending him away at night. But who was Aristarchus, one of the Thessalonians? How do we know he is from Thessalonica? It says so in the next passage which continues the story from the Ephesus account. Acts 21 through 7. After the uproar had ceased, Paul called the disciples to himself, embraced them, and departed to go to Macedonia. Now when he had gone over that region and encouraged them with many words, he came to Greece and stayed three months. And when the Jews plotted against him again, he, he was about to sail to Syria. He decided to return through Macedonia. So he changed his travel route. And Sopater of Berea accompanied him to Asia. Also, Aristarchus and Secundus of the Thessalonians. So that tells me, oh, and look, it says Gaius of Derby. So Gaius was not from Thessalonica. But Aristarchus and Secundus. Now, I have not looked up Secundus. You know, I could do it really quick right now. Let's just see. What is that? Acts 20. If you haven't seen Esword in action, you can see it now. Acts 20, um, verse 4. Thank you. We're going to see what Secundus, that name, means of Latin origin. Second. Yeah, I was thinking, he's junior. <laughs> this is junior, number two. So that makes sense. That's fun. All right, go back to where I was. Uh, all right. So, 
what we're really noticing is that Aristarchus and Secundus are from Thessalonica, and here they are traveling with Paul. They were with him in Ephesus when the riot started. They are seeing the trouble that comes against Paul because of the gospel, because of the name of Jesus, and they're staying with him. So that makes them strong and courageous. In Acts 27, 1 and 2, again we see Aristarchus mentioned with Paul when Paul was a prisoner and being sent to Rome. When it was decided that we should sail to Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustan regiment. So entering the, a ship of Adramidium, we put to sea, meaning to sail along the coasts of Asia. Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us. Luke is highlighting his name here. Aristarchus stayed side. He's mentioned again in the letter to the Colossians. Paul writes from Rome when he was a prisoner there. Now listen to how Aristarchus is described. First of all, Tychicus, a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I am sending him to you, to Colossae, for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will make known to you all things which are happening here in Rome. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. The, with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, and... Jesus, who is called justice. These are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. They have proved to be a comfort to me. So again, not only is Aristarchus willing to be with Paul when he is ministering to a city and there are riots stirred up against him and then he travels with Paul. He continues and he doesn't abandon Paul. He gets on the boat when Paul is a prisoner and he goes to Rome and he's made a prisoner as well in Rome. These are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. Oh, that sounds like Aristarchus is a Jew. Then the next passage that you have is Philemon 1, 22 through 25. Paul is writing from Rome as a prisoner and who is with him. He says to I don't know if he's writing to Philemon or to Onesimus. He's writing to Philemon. Meanwhile, prepare a guest room for me, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So again, Aristarchus is getting a lot of mention he is with Paul. He is a Thessalonian. He is faithful to the Lord. He is strong and courageous. He is in prison with Paul. So what do we see through these accounts? Jason, Aristarchus, and Secundus are Thessalonians who were real people with real faith in our real, true and living God, our real Savior. And these men clearly lived out works of faith and labors of love, you're going to see the work and the labor is, is hard work. 
it is exhausting. It may be painful. And they also, as Paul says about them, they endured with hope. They had endurance of hope, steadfastness of hope. These men knew trouble in their own town, and that didn't keep them from traveling with Paul where they encountered more trouble. So I'm, I'm pretty impressed with these guys. There was one other person that was mentioned in that last passage um, of Philemon. Demas is mentioned, and I want to draw attention to him because we learn a little bit more about him in the next passage on your handout, 2 Timothy 4, 9 through 12. There's a sad description. Paul says to Timothy, be diligent to come to me quickly. Paul is in Rome, in prison, in like the dungeon prison. And he says, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world and has departed for Thessalonica. Crescens for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he's useful to me for ministry. And Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. So Demas had been with Paul as a fellow laborer. But now Paul says he has loved this present world and he's departed for Thessalonica. I'm not sure whether that means he is a Thessalonian. It sounds like he's a Thessalonian. We have seen men described from Thessalonica who were strong and courageous and they were heroes of faith. They were good and faithful stewards of the gospel. They were men who were willing to sacrifice the comforts of their home and sacrifice comforts on the road and in the cities that they went to. They did it for the sake of the gospel. These are some of the Thessalonians we will meet in heaven one day. Now you know some of their names. And I hope that there's more to Demas's story than the last thing that we know about him from Paul's letter. There may be more. I hope there is. But with what we have, we should let the description of Demas be a warning to us. He had been a fellow laborer with Paul. And then what did he do? He loved this present world more. And he, he went back to Thessalonica. Perhaps there he repented and rededicated himself to the Lord because the church at Thessalonica was strong and bold and they loved the Lord and they knew hope in him. So perhaps they brought demons back and said, <laughs> get your head straight, you know? <laughs> get, back, get back to Jesus, hold fast to Jesus. There were certainly strong believers there enough there to encourage him but again let his story here be a test be a warning to us to prioritize to love the lord our god with all our heart and soul and mind and strength that last part of that command to us love the lord with all of our strength and i just think of all that these men companions of Paul went through they were strong men they loved the Lord with everything that they had so let us do that countercultural and they match that word up with holiness to be holy is to be countercultural why because to be holy is to be set apart to 
be holy as our God is holy. So if the culture is not acting like God, then um, you're going to be acting differently from the culture. And again, that's what the Thessalonians did. And how did they respond? Their love is highlighted and their hope is highlighted. The, the illustration there showed you that right in the middle of the book of 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 3, 11 through 13, that's Paul's prayer. And he says, uh, may the Lord make your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus. Well, I didn't read the part about, may the Lord make you, cause you to increase and overflow with love. So 1 Thessalonians 3, 12 and 13 is the center of the book. It is the highlight of the whole message, love and holiness. And the rest of the book is surrounded by descriptions of how that love is lived out, how their holiness is lived out and why they're doing it. They know Jesus as their savior, but they know he's coming back. He is the coming king. So hope again is huge in this book. I hope, I hope that meeting Thessalonians by name has been interesting and motivating, inspiring, helpful, and that you will continue to think about these real people, their real lives, and know that what Paul is telling us is for our lives today, and that this book will give us the perspective that we need as we are living countercultural lives right now. We're doing it for the sake of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord God, our Father, we are just in awe of who you are and how you work and what you've done. And I thank you that you are letting us see that turmoil and trouble is under your sovereign control and you use it for your purposes and I pray that we would trust you as our lives have some kind of turmoil or chaos or trouble or hostility we don't ask for that but you allow it and you know your purposes so I I hope Lord that by looking at these letters and seeing what your people long ago did that we will that we will trust you to work through the Holy Spirit in our lives. Give us the boldness and the courage and the peace and the hope that we need today and for each situation that we find ourselves in. Thank you, Jesus, for what you did and that you are the one who has given us hope. Thank you for forgiveness of sins. Thank you for your truth. And I thank you for the family that you have made us a part of and this community and this room full of sisters. And I thank you that we're not alone. We are with each other. And I thank you for unity in your spirit. And I praise you that you never leave us or forsake us. Walk with us through the rest of this day and each day, one day at a time, until we see you. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.
That's all for today. I am Elizabeth Ficken. Thanks for studying the Bible with me.